Hello, welcome to Deep Cuts Live. I'm your host, Antoine Reed, and today we have two special guests. So we're going to be speaking to Nestor Miranda and Jason Wood from Miami Cigar Company. If you don't know Nestor's story, it's one great story. So he came from Cuba, he started his own cigar brand, there's a lot that happened in between, and we're going to touch on all of that, and we're going to speak to Jason a little bit about the different brands within Miami Cigar Company and what you can expect from the company coming up at this year's Premium Cigar Association trade show in Vegas in just another week. So it'll be a great episode, and let's get to today's guests. Jason and Nestor, welcome to Deep Cuts. My pleasure. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I was looking back at my files, and Jason, you were the 12th person to do Deep Cuts back in 2020, which seems like uh, eons ago now. Uh, I think we were doing it. You were in your driveway. I was... Uh, on the other half of my apartment. <laughs> so um, thank you for doing it again. And I know at the end of that one, we said it'd be cool if we had Nestor on here to tell his story. And now he's here. So um, looking forward to the conversation and learning a little bit more uh, about Nestor and his story and hearing it straight from the man himself. Absolutely. He's ready to go. You're very hairy up because I'm getting old. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jason, just introduce the two of you to people who maybe they don't know who you all are. They never heard of Miami Cigar. I find that hard to believe, but there are some people who are new to the hobby who are just coming in. So just give us a little intro to you and the brand and Nestor Miranda. Of course. So, um like we're saying Miami Cigar, so that's the, the name of our company. My father-in-law, uh, Nestor Miranda, started the company in 1989. Um, it is common for, for the consumer to not know the Miami Cigar brand um, because at the end of the day, it is just a distribution hub for our other brands, um, which include the Nestor Miranda, Don Lino, and the Tatiana brand of cigars. Uh, so those hopefully you guys are a little bit more familiar with. Starting in 1989, like I said, my in-laws uh, from the trunk of the car, started selling cigars here locally in Miami uh, to liquor stores in the area. So the business started to grow. It came in right before the boom and um, we're able to grow the monster that we are right now. So it's thanks to him that, uh, that we're able to provide the industry with all of these uh, great cigars that, that we carry in our portfolio. Lucky, I, I love cigar. Lucky. <laughs> <laughs> and Nestor, your story is uh, very unique. I've, had the pleasure of writing it for some of the magazines I've written for in the past. But if you could tell us your story, how did you come to be in the cigar industry? All right. When I was uh, 17 years old in Cuba, I used to steal cigar from my dad and uh, go every afternoon to the park. We got a lot of parks in our city. And I wanted the, uh, the girls see me with a cigar, you know, a big guy with a cigar. So I got sick every week. You know, I got green because the cigar was too strong. And, uh, but I did it every week. And that was the beginning of me acquiring a taste on a cigar. But my genes are from my, my father, my grandfather. He used to smoke Churchill's like only 10 a day, more, more or less. And uh, he loved cigar. And I, I love, I started loving the cigar when I came to the U.S. I didn't have money to buy a cigar at that time. So I got to wait. Then I moved from Miami to Los Angeles, and in Los Angeles, I started smoking cigar again. I was uh, 23 years old at that time, 
And that's the beginning of my agenda in the cigar. I love the the cigar. I've been doing it for, you know, 30-something years. I can do nothing else. This is what I know. This is what I love. And I'm glad that uh, through my 80 years, I can say I have a great life in the cigar business. I love it. And what I remember most from your story uh, that I was able to write was the idea that you set goals for yourself when you first got into the industry. You were selling these cigars out of the trunk of your car and you would say, I want to sell this many today. And you would hit that goal and then you would continue on and say, okay, more, more, more. Um, talk a, yeah, a little right. bit about how that goal setting kind of shaped who you, like, where did you, that come from? And then how did it shape, you know, the company that you were able to build from it? Well, it takes a lot of work. You know, you start a business without without money. You don't know where, which way you're going. Like, I guess, like any business. And then you see the progress through the year. You know, my first year in business, we sold like 60,000 cigars in a year. And that's what I smoke today in a year. So it, it changed dramatically from 60,000 to 120,000 and so on and so on. And then the boom started in the 90s and I was in it. So we changed from 150,000, 300,000 to 1 million cigars. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't do so many cigars. So I went to Honduras and I got a cigar from Honduras, Nicaragua, Dominican Republic. So every cigar that I obtained from those people is sold out. So, you know, I did 20 million cigars when the boom. So from nothing to 20 million is unbelievable. It's a lot of cigars, let me tell you. A lot oh, of yeah, definitely. And you were new to the industry. And I know that there's, you know, you didn't have the luxury of Google <laughs> or, you know, magazines or articles to tell you, like, teach you about the industry. So how did you learn about the industry? Like, how did you come into this industry, like you said, as a basically as a newcomer and become an expert at it? Well, I was I was interviewed once, twice, as a matter of fact, from uh, Cigar Aficionado. Mm -hmm. I was in, uh, this is funny, I was in New York in the Dela Concha Cigar Shop. And uh, what was his name from uh, Cigar Aficionado? Oh, my God. Which at that time, I forgot the name. Anyhow, he was in Dela Concha. I was talking about Mike's cigar in Miami. And in right the conversation, say, you know, Mike's cigar is doing 14 million cigars a year. And I say, Mike's cigar? My cigar has been in business since 1947. They go, listen, I've been in business in 1989. I'm doing 16 million cigars. I said, you got to be kidding. I'm not kidding. I showed you my income tax. So I could, he couldn't believe it. So we went to a hotel for a drink. And then we started talking. And I said, Nestor, I can't believe you're doing that much. So the next week, Cigar Aficionado sent somebody to my office. So I got an interview on the 1976, if you see the magazine, it was the biggest magazine in the history of Cigar Aficionado. Not because my interview is because we have on the front of the page Debbie Moore, and she's a nice looking <laughs> chick. But in the magazine, it was interviewed there by Cardi from Miami, of course, Cuban people. And um, my picture was unbelievable. I couldn't believe it I was in Cigar Aficionado. 
So that was, uh, that really helped me. That really helped me. So the next step, of course. Now, Jason, for those people who don't know, tell people a little bit about your first, like when you first met Nestor, what was that experience like? Oh, he fell in love with me. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, though, it, it is true. This guy, is, he's the man. Like from the beginning, so when I started dating his daughter, um, she was like, all right, you know, it's time. Let's go and let's meet uh, my parents. I was like, absolutely, let's go, let's do it. And then when I met him, he's just, he has this gift and it's not just um, so familiar. It's also when we go to certain shops or wherever he's at, it really doesn't even matter where we are. It's the ability to uh, adapt and be able to talk to any different type of person, male, female, white, black. It doesn't matter what it is. He just knows how to put himself in that situation and really like, I don't know, they feel like he's just, he's one of them, right? Regardless of what it is, he just becomes part of that group and he has that gift to make people comfortable to the point where they talk to him and he's always comfortable to talk. So my first meeting with him was very similar. Um, very difficult at first because we had very different um, interests. So I was big into sports. He didn't know much about sports. He loved cigars. I, I didn't smoke. Uh, he was a big hunter and fisherman. I had never done either of the two. So it was like, it, it was so extreme, but we kind of adapted. But I think he adapted easier right off the bat because it was just his personality on how to make that work. He's he's big into making everybody around him feel happy and feel comfortable. Um, so that, that was big for me. And it's I see it every day that I travel with him. He's always able to do that uh, regardless of where we are. Yeah, and I was about to say those qualities, I'm sure, are super important in today's cigar industry, especially. Um, I know that when I speak to people who are not in the industry, they don't understand how relationship-driven and personality-driven this industry is. Correct. Yeah, it's just, I, I mean, you say that in all sales, right? But it's so true what you're saying. In cigars, it's it's more of an old-school industry, right? Like, it's it's a handshake industry. It's sitting down with your customers, smoking the cigar, hanging out, having a good time, just bonding over that cigar. Um, traveling, I mean, like we travel all over the place, even for work or on vacation personally, and you get some time to go to a cigar shop. It could be a cigar shop you've never even been to. But just when you get in there, it, it's easy to kind of find your way because it's just everybody's there just to bond over that cigar and have good conversation um, and good time. So it is a very cool industry to be a part of. But it doesn't matter what kind of cigar you have, the first things you have to sell if yourself. That's the first thing. You go to a tobacco shop and you get used to the, the owner. He gets to like you. And then after that, then you sell the cigar. I think that's important too. Um, everybody has to have a personal brand these days, especially nowadays. But even back then, you seem, you probably realize quickly that, like you said, if they don't like you, they're not going to, you know, give your brand a, pro a chance to flourish in their shop. Yeah. It's just, it's it could be the best cigar ever, but if they can't connect with you, it, it just doesn't matter. Correct. There's just so many great options, right? You walk into a humidor and they have a, a bunch of beautiful cigars, great cigars, great construction, great flavor profiles. So, so what sets it apart, you know? So obviously the look of the cigar can set it apart if you haven't smoked it before, but also if you have any background with that cigar. So you meet Nestor, you meet another one of the manufacturers in the business, you've met them, you had some time with them, spoke with them, you really like hit it off of them and you like them. The next time you go to a cigar shop, you're going to look for that cigar. You know, it's, just, it's that whole relationship thing. It's the experience. You're like, man, you know, I, 
I actually hung out with this guy and, you know, I'm going to support him. He's a good dude. And I, I want to, I want to see him succeed. So that that's 100% the truth. When you were starting out or you came up with this idea that I'm going to start my own cigar company, how did you get started in this? Like what was the first step that you took? Well, you got to find the right company to make cigar reliable, um, honest people, because, you know, when you make first-time cigar, you don't want to make a quantity. First of all, you don't have the money to buy quantity. So you got to go to the location, let's put it in Honduras, and talk to the people there. Yeah, I want to make a cigar. Oh, good. So what sizes and things like that? So, okay, let me have a uh, 100 boxes a week. That's nothing. At that time, it was pretty good, about 1989. But you have to be sure that the people who make your cigar, they're good people. Because if they don't make good cigars, there's no way you can sell it. So that, that's the beginning. Then you got to go and, and fight the street because you got competition left and right. So that's the point that I say you got to sell yourself first and then the cigar. And I've been pretty good in that. So we obtain a distribution, share position. No matter what the price was, if the cigar is good, you got to end. You mentioned the, the, the C word, competition, and a lot of people in the cigar industry don't like to use that word, but I mean, it's just a, a natural part of business that, you know, you do have competition out there. So, so how do you kind of view, you know, other people in the industry in terms of, you know, in a business sense? Because I know that you want to be, you know, friends with as many people as possible, get good relations, but at the same time, you do have to have like that competitive edge in order to get your brand over that hurdle. So how do you approach, I guess, the keeping things friendly, but at the same time being competitive? Well, I know every one of them, Carlito, Puente, Padron, Lito, every one of them, they're my friends. So I want to say my cigar is better than your cigar. And the contrary, I said they make great cigars. I also make good cigars. So it's a matter of fact, why you don't try it. But those people, they make great cigars. I will never put down none of those names because they're my friend and I know they like me and I like them. So I will never be negative talking bad about those people. It's important too because you never know, you know, where life is going to take you. And at the end of the day, if you badmouth somebody, you talk bad about a company, down the road, there could be an opportunity that you would have had, but now you don't have because you set that bad precedent with the customer or with your with your competition. And competition is great. I mean, they always say iron sharpens iron, right? So mm -hmm. the better they do, it makes us want to strive to be that much better also and just provide the consumer with the, the best product possible. I mean, there's thankfully it's a great time to be a cigar smoker right now, and there's a lot of cigar smokers out there enjoying great product. So there's enough for all of us, and we can, you know, we do our battles. We battle for shelf space every day. Um, but at the end of the day, it is um, a very family-oriented industry for the most part. I mean, everybody has their little hiccups here and there. Um, but for the most part, everybody does uh, – they do a good job of separating that competition from being all one for the most part. So it, it is uh, something that I don't think is very common, and we do have it in the cigar industry. Another thing is it's not like you say, what is the best cigar? It's not such a thing like the best cigar. It's the one you like. That's it. That's the best cigar, the one you like. 
Yeah, that's 100. That's the truth. I mean, there's so many different options, right? It's your palate is different than my palate that's different than his palate. So, so everybody, everybody's going to have their favorite cigar and there's plenty of them out there for everybody to enjoy. I definitely believe that um, to be the case. And I guess that's why personally I have a hard time rating or reviewing cigars because I feel like every cigar is going to be different. So somebody, something, a cigar that you might like may not be one that I like. Um, and yet we've gotten to this culture in the cigar industry where reviews and ratings kind of do drive, you know, a big focus for the media at least. Um, and I just think that that kind of does a disservice to so many brands because so many uh, people might read a review from this or that person that they follow. And they, if they say they don't like it, they don't try it and not knowing that they might actually like that cigar. So, right. It's, uh, I think something consumers, um, need to understand and it is something that's a benefit to them now of the amount of people that are reviewing cigars online it's important to find that person that has a palette similar to yours so if you start seeing okay i'm going to follow so and so and following their reviews and said this cigar said this cigar was good and i tried it and i really liked it there you go go again with that person you need to find your lane um because just because they're the biggest or the best might not necessarily mean that their palette or their panel of panelists or their panel of uh smokers it's not necessarily what you're looking for so I think it's important for the consumer to find that right niche or that fight, that right channel, and then go ahead and follow that person. Because if you're just following blindly because they're the best or because your friend said this is the best review site, uh, I mean, to start, obviously, you got to start somewhere. But get into it. Get educated a little bit more on everybody that's making those reviews because everybody's going to have a different person they kind of gravitate towards as far as pilots go. And once you get that, I think then you can really own in on that one or that group and be like, all right, you know, these guys kind of have an idea. They have the same pilot that I have. Let me go ahead and follow and get more information from them to help me out as opposed to just following blind. Definitely. And I know someone mentioned on a previous episode of Deep Cuts that, you know, certain reviewers obviously prefer certain cigars. So you'll see that they always rate a Connecticut higher than a Maduro. And you mm -hmm. need to kind of take note of that kind of stuff. 100%. Yeah, definitely. And it just happens. It's natural. It's what you like. What do you like to eat? What do you like to drink? What do you like to smoke? Oh, you have your own personal taste. Way back, way back in the low 90s, Candela rapper was a great rapper. You don't see it now. Right. I don't see it. I don't know if it's still making Candela. But that green thing, it was uh, at the time, people love it. I try it. I never like it, but a lot of people like the Candela. But now I, I don't see it. I don't know if you see it. Yeah, it's funny. I was at a factory in Honduras a couple months ago and they had one roller. They had like a humongous factory and yeah. there was one roller sitting there rolling a, a candela. And it was like, you know, everyone was like gathered around them because it was so different. And it was like, Oh, like what's, what's going on here? It's, it's, it is weird how I'm sure like give it enough time, like how nineties trends are coming into back into fashion and, you know, vinyl records are, are coming back into fashion. I'm sure at some point in the cigar industry, we'll see a whole big, you know, the rise of the Candela again, um, just like we've seen other kind of trends kind of come back. I'm sure it'll be back. Yeah. It's a cycle, right? Everything comes back around. It's like I was reading the Bequique is now $200 a cigar. And a box of so 10 is close to like 2000 something. But again, if you like it, buy it, enjoy it. 
You know, it's a matter of money. You got the money, go ahead. It's only one life. That's right. That's now, that, that, <laughs> that does bring to the motto of the company, which is one life. Because, And you hear that a lot. Um, and I remember when I first got into the cigar industry, I would see your ads in the magazines, and that would be like the big focus of the ad. So what does one life mean to you? To you, either I mean, both of you, like, what what is that motto about? Like, why should we embrace that motto? So we we adopted that motto because of the man next to me. So he he kind of embodies that one life mentality. Um, and just a basic explanation of what that is or what it means to us. Uh, I mean, you're given that one life, right? You're here, you're put on this earth, and it's your decision, it's your choice to do whatever you want to do with your life. You want to be a nine to fiver? You want to be a grinder? You, what do you want to do? Like what? It's it's all there for you. Thankfully, we're, we're lucky enough to have the opportunity to do what we want to do um, in this country and and be successful or do whatever we want. Um, this man came to the United States from Holguin, Cuba, with nothing, with a dream, with an American dream, and busted his ass and did whatever it took uh, to become successful because that's what he wanted. So when we always say one life, that that's you have that one life, so make the most of it, you know? Like, for sure, we joke around, we say it for everything now. Whenever, like, anybody's around us, we're like, are you going to do this? Yeah, one life. They're like, man, you say one life for everything. But like, yeah, but it's just like our models, our slogan that we've taken on now. Like, live your life. Live it to the fullest. Live it up. Because another thing is, you don't you don't know what tomorrow brings, right? So it's, it's real life. That's what it is. So if you can do it now, do it. Get it done and move forward because you never know what, what's going to happen tomorrow. So sit down with your friends. Open a bottle of Macallan, open a cigar, cut it, and smoke it. It's adorable. <laughs> it's one life. Enjoy life. That's for sure. Now, when you started this company, I always am interested in how people choose to name their companies. Um, I know that there's a Nesta Miranda cigar line, but why choose to name it Miami Cigar as opposed to like Nesta Miranda Cigars? Okay, that's, you know something? <laughs> it's funny. In 1989, I want to start the company. I don't know the name. I don't really care what kind of name. So I talked to uh, an attorney, a friend of mine, and I said, listen, I want to start a company. I need a name. He said, yeah, we need a name. What kind of name do you want? Said, I don't know. Miami Cigar? He said, oh, that's probably taken. <laughs> so he called me and said, you know something? We got it. We got Miami Cigar. He said, okay, you know, big deal. <laughs> No idea. I haven't sold one cigar yet, but it was called Miami Cigar. And wow, we made it. It was a nice name. We're from Miami. Hello. Sell cigars. Yeah. So it was a, it's a good name. Now Miami City is on top of the world. It's one of the most famous cities in the world. So we are in. We got Miami. So I have no idea that we're going to be such a big city. <laughs> Now, what was the first Miami cigar, you know, ever released? Like, what was that first brand? Don Lino. Don Lino was the first brand made in Honduras. Okay. In Don Lee. And uh, again, the name came out out of nothing. Uh, we started making cigars from Honduras. And people say, Honduras is not a good place to make cigars. Well, I'm going to make cigars in Honduras. I tried the cigar. Kind of like it. We started making the boxes, and we sold one million cigars. Was, that was my beginning in, in the cigar business. I mean, a heck of a business. Nice brand. People recognize it. 
and everything that we do, we put the Don Lino in it. Like Africa, you're familiar with the Africa cigars, I Don Lino, Africa. And that's probably one of the most beautiful boxes in the cigar business. It's gorgeous. So why choose Honduras for your cigars? Because I know lots of people, you know, they have the, their preference. You see a big gravitation towards Nicaragua today. You know, a couple of years ago, it was a big gravitation towards Dominican Republic. So why choose Honduras? I got a box, a sample box from the factory in Honduras. Remember, that company used to be owned by USD, which is a big company. And when I had the cigar and saw the presentation, and you know, at that time, I used to sell Don Lino, the box, for $21. Okay, and what, like Jason said, I used to go out with my wife in the car and sell the cigar from Miami, Key West, that was run wrapped. And I got bundled at $7, $9, and $10, bundled, and cigar at $21 a box. So I sold $1,000 in the whole day. I finished by 10 o'clock, come back from Key West to Miami, got to Miami in the early hours of the day, of the night, and dead with my wife. But we sold $1,000. So the next week, I take another route. That's only in the weekend because I used to work for Charmaine. So on the weekend, I go to West Palm Beach. Then I go to Naples. And then I went all the way down to Tampa and I stay overnight. So that's the beginning opening route. I, I was the only one selling. And only the weekend. So I did $1,000 every week. And enough money to pay the rent and the cigar. Tough job. Tough. <laughs> When you said that, it kind of triggered a memory from your story. And you can tell me if I'm wrong about this part, but your story. But uh, at one point, you used to work at a hotel, correct? Correct. <laughs> and big, big dishwasher. <laughs> and I think from the, the story I remember is that you used to work at this hotel. And you said that, you know, one, you know even though I'm working here one day, one day I'm going to be a guest here. Is, is that? Oh yes, we're talking about the Beverly Hills Hotel. Yeah. yeah. Could you tell that? Could you oh, tell yeah. that story? Because I remember that being like the highlight of the story. I remember lots of people commenting on, you know, your story. Yeah, that like was, uh, yeah. When I when I went to California, is my my uh, girlfriend today's my wife. She's been with me the whole fifty seven years, you know. So I went to California. I had a fifty five Chevy. And I drove all the way. It's only 2,000 miles. Not a big deal. <laughs> so I went to L.A. and I started looking for a job. Then I got a job with the Mattel toy, naked Barbie doll. And I started at 7 o'clock in the morning until 3.30. Then come back to the apartment. And I had a, a job with the Beverly Hills Hotel as a busboy. And that was my thing for two years. Every day. Saturday and Sunday, I have no free day. But I make a good money. My wife was working in another location. So we make good money at that time. Good money. We make such a good money that I bought an MGB convertible. I love it. So I look like a uh, European guy in an MGB. One life. But <laughs> times went by. That's 19, 1963, 64. So time, make the company, 1989, I was doing good. In the 90s, I flew to Los Angeles to work with one of my salesmen. 
I, on the plane, I said, you know something? I want to stay in the Beverly Hills Hotel. So I called the office and make me reservation on the Beverly Hills Hotel. The office said, that's expensive. I don't give a damn. Make reservation there. <laughs> so I went to the hotel. My life. My life. <laughs> I went to the hotel and I'm checking in and uh, the, the guy in the counter said, what, the uh, credit card? Yeah, there you are. The credit card say Miami Cigar Company. I said, you know something, sir? You see that Polo Lounge? I used to be a boss there in 1963. And then he looked at me and said, are you pulling my leg? And, well, maybe. But I, I used to work right there at the Polo Lounge. So I went to the uh, my room and I have uh, the telephone start ringing. I thought it was my wife. I said, hello, Mr. Miranda. Yes, this is the uh, assistant general manager of the hotel. He goes, okay. <laughs> What else? What happened? <laughs> and I say, listen, uh, we would like to see you tomorrow morning at nine o'clock. Did I do something wrong? I mean, what, what seems to be the problem? No, 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 no. We, we want to see you. The manager of the hotel want to see you tomorrow morning. Are you want to see me tomorrow morning? Okay. So I go there tomorrow morning, 15 to 9. I always run on time. And uh, I knock the door and a beautiful woman open up. Kind of was blonde, I remember. And... Uh, he said, Mr. Miranda, and they go, my God, yes. And he took that two hands and said, oh, my God, I love you. Go, I love you, too. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so he said, please come in and go in. And I sit down, and the general manager of the hotel, Beverly Hill Hotel, come and said, Mr. Miranda, what a pleasure to have you in my hotel. Yeah, I'm thinking about this guy made a mistake. I'm probably I'm looking for somebody else, and they're going to kick me out of here. I said, please. Sit down with me. Explain me how you made it. So I explained the whole thing. It was beautiful because he remembered the manager that I used to work for. And when I go back to the, the room, I got strawberries and chocolate, of course, and a bottle of Dom Perignon. And I said, I called my wife right away and I say, you know something, darling? You marry a celebrity. <laughs> I said, yeah, keep drinking that Kool-Aid. <laughs> To me, it was amazing, that story, amazing. Because, again, it never happened. You know, some something, it's one life, I would say. That, that was great. Yeah. So you knew about it, <laughs> Antoine? Yeah, like I said, I remember that that story. And it's funny because I, that whole story, I, um, I submitted it to a writing competition. And it won, like, seventh place in the editorial you know, thing, and I thought that was pretty. I thought that was pretty awesome, like a national writing, you know, Writers Digest uh, magazine, and uh, it was like seventh place. And I was, I was like, yeah, I thought that was pretty good because it's always hard to get, you know, non-cigar media to even recognize a a story, and they recognize that story. And I remember that part, and I was like, I bet it was that part about the the full circle moment that that sold that story to them that made the That's person. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Make me happy. And another story that I want you to share with us is how Tatiana came to be. Because you have a very popular cigar line, um, the Tatiana line. And Jason has told the story. But since we have you here, we'd like you to tell the story. Like, how did this popular cigar line come to be? Okay, okay. When I was interviewed by Cigar Aficionado at the beginning, when I told you, they put a lot of pictures of me and my son and my wife. 
and uh, conversation, etc. And I never, never mentioned my daughter. And she used to help me in the cigar when she, when she was in the U.S. University. And she used to help me in the shop, put in boxes and things like that. But I never mentioned her name. So she's in the university and saw the magazine. I said, Dad, you, Mommy, my brother looked nice, but you never talk about me. And I say, you know, for dinner, I was so emotional that I forgot that I will, I will take care of them. I will do something for you. And I start thinking about what can I do for Tatiana. Then I thinking about, yeah, we can do, I don't know, flavor cigar, maybe. And I come out with the idea of flavor cigar. And I went to Dominican Republic. And I said, I want to make flavor cigar, little ones. I said, yeah, we can do that. Okay. So they made it and they put a rubber band. They make 20, 25 with a rubber band. Of course, the rubber band compress those little cigars and it looks terrible. Terrible. I said, I don't think they look pretty good. Anyhow, so traveling to California again, I, I, I'm thinking about, I got to sell those little cigars. How can I sell in a counter? Because I used to be in a liquor business. I know the counter is is amazing. So I'm looking at a magazine and I see the, the Pisa Tower, which is inclined. And I say, well, and I start designing a display inclined like the Pisa Tower. And I designed it and I made it in Miami. I put a little cigar in a, um, a plastic container, the three of them. So I can put uh, vanilla, cherry, and rum. Oh, man, they love it. When I start sending those to the tobacco shop, they didn't have um, flavor cigar at that time. So I was the beginning of something that I have no idea. It's going to be so no idea. So then we make the boxes and so on, so on. And today is it's not the best. It's one of the best flavor cigars in the U.S. Amazing story from nothing. Yep. It is. You know, I like, again. <laughs> I had my first Tatiana actually a couple of weeks ago because I was digging through my humidor or my little, you know, uh, Tupperware big trunk of, of cigars since I have so many around here. And I was like, oh, Tatiana. And I was like, I've never tried one before. And I tried it and it was the Tatiana cherry. And, you know, after I tried it, it was one of those where especially when I'm posting content on TikTok. Um, there's lots of uh, people who smoke stuff on TikTok, but it's usually not cigars. So they usually want to know questions about like, how do I get into it? Or I, you know, I don't like the, the typical, like, you know, woodsy, cedary taste that cigars have to them. What should I do? And I was telling, I was like, well, you should try the flavored cigars. And I was like, Tatiana is, is one of those brands along with, you know, Drew Estate with Acid. I was like, if you want something flavored, you should try those two. So I'm pretty sure that there's a lot of other people out there who may uh, be curious about cigars, but they may not like the, the usual taste or aroma that would benefit from trying out Tatiana today. Very cool. We appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. Give us our little plug there. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, I think I feel like that's my job as, the, as a media person is to like, direct them towards all the brands out there uh, like that. But Tatiana, right. again, that story, which I always feel like that's why stories are important in this industry is because, you know, if I am speaking to someone 
it's hard for me to, to distinguish something from like 10,000 press releases that come out. But a story, I can tell them, and I, I'm pretty sure I've told people the Tatiana story several times now, um, right. you know, to, to kind of introduce them to Miami Cigar. Uh, and I think stories, like I said, don't get told a lot and they just kind of get glossed over. Uh, and those kind of stories, I think, sell products. And so I know the retailers out there right. who know that story are able to say, like, this isn't just, you know, any cigar and they can go into the story and it probably sells it a lot more. For sure. You get that, you get that uh, feeling as like part, like you're part of, part of the project, part when you know the story and then you want a story and like, oh, wow, I can't believe you knew that. And then it kind of just goes from there. So storytelling is huge. It does. It's a huge part of brand building. Now, speaking of brand building, so Jason, you're the sales person, the, the VP. You're kind of at the top of this whole thing along with Nestor. Um, walk us through some of the the other Miami cigar products that maybe we haven't touched on. Like, what are the products that, you know, that we should, that people who want to try this brand need to be on the lookout for? Right. So our two, um, Tatiana, excluding Tatiana. So Tatiana on one side of the spectrum when we're talking about that flavor-infused experience. Um, but then on the traditional side, uh, two of our brands that are our biggest movers, uh, one out of uh, the My Father Factory and Esteli Nicaragua. So again, going back to what Nestor said, um, relationships are huge and doing business with people that you trust and you know are going to do the best by you. Um, that factory comes out with amazing cigars and we do the Nestor Miranda special selection out of there. So that one comes in two different offerings. So it comes in a, a Habano and then a Connecticut as well. Uh, great cigar, beautiful packaging, very simple to the point, great price point for the consumer. And it's been a staple in our brand, uh, in our portfolio for it was about like 2004. It's been one of the ones and it's had different iterations through time, uh, different new releases that we've had, limited editions and whatnot. But the main staples, the Habano and the Connecticut have been around forever and it's it's just a quality cigar. Every time you smoke it, it's like, wow, it's like, man, in the industry, you tend to go away from some cigars that you like just because there's so many cigars. But there's so many times that we'll be at an event or at a store and you're like, all right, I'm going to smoke one of yours. Like, all right, grab an S Miranda. And they'll grab one. They're like, man, I haven't smoked this in a couple of years. They smoke it. It's like, it's a badass cigar. Like, it's the same badass cigar that you smoked three years ago. You just stopped. But it, you got to understand that I get it because I have you no know, experience in wine and all of that stuff. And so you always try and change, like trying different things. Um, but that, that's, that's one of our, one of our monsters. And the other one out of, uh, AJ Fernandez factory, also in Nicaragua is the Donlino Africa. Um, so that's a beautiful box pressed, uh, Habano wrapped cigar. The difference on that one that makes it a little bit different than some of the other cigars in our portfolio is it has a Cameroon, uh, Cameroon leaf in it from Africa. So the binder is actually an African Cameroon. It gives us a nice sweetness, um, that you're not so familiar with when you smoke some of the different cigars. Um, but it does give it a nice little twang to it. Um, and those are our two main staples right now. We have a pretty much condensed portfolio right now of the Nesta Miranda Special Selections, the Africas, and then uh, the Tatiana brand, which has over 120 different uh, SKUs that you guys see in the stores. Yeah, and you were talking about the condensed portfolio, but I would think being able to focus all of your attention on, you know, a few products rather than having like 30 products that you have to sell at one time probably makes it a little bit easier because you can perfect that the pitch form, you know, you know, you can focus on the quality control of them a little bit better than you could right. if there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. hundred percent. And that's, that's totally true. Cause it's something that we saw through the years 
is just expanding so much on our lines and our brands and having so many different brands out there. Um, you kind of run yourself thin at the same time too. And then you get into this constant battle of just swapping out cigars for cigars or, okay, this one stuck, but these other two didn't do well. Let's still replace it with something else. And you're constantly running that same, you know, that same wheel over and over and over and over, as opposed to just focusing in and making the best cigars we can make with those brands. And then doing what we're starting to do now that we like is just smaller batch, limited edition type cigars um, with the best tobacco that we can possibly source and just provide the market with the best cigars that we can um, and get everybody kind of accustomed to that. We won't ever do like over a thousand boxes of cigars. We just keep it like at that number or less. Have the, the retailers are already used to it. They know they need to buy, like, for example, the show that we're going to in a couple of weeks. They'll know that all the limited editions, we need to get these now because if not, they're going to be sold out. The consumer knows to buy them right when they get to the retailer store. So it works for everybody. We get something cool out into the market that's different, that has certain unique tobacco or maybe different age statement on it, um, that allows the, us to sell it to the retailer and the retailer to sell it fast to the consumer. Everybody enjoys the experience. And then they're wanting more. And then that following year, it's just another vintage. So similar to like the wine thing, a lot of guys in cigars do it as well. Uh, different like vintage years and going ahead and doing that and just having that template set up as opposed to coming out with a new brand every year. And it's like a whole new top track. Um, it's something new that the retailer has confidence in us, but it's just, it's another one again, as opposed to a limited that you've already sold that you did well. And they know that it's kind of like turnkey, that they can go ahead and get it, get it moving and running through. And it's honestly, we learned it from the, the Tatiana brand. Um, seeing those items just moving and being in constant rotation because of the loyalty of the customer base that it has and saying, you know, why can't we try to mimic this uh, at a different level, but mimic it in the non-flavored side as well and just get people used to what we offer as opposed to coming out with another Mr. Miranda and another name and another name. It, it, it's fun. It's cool. It's, I do like that part of it because it's the creative part of the business and just coming up with the branding and the packaging and everything just that game of what can you create to get the consumer to be excited to try the cigar is awesome. I really like that. But at the end of the day, we were causing confusion. And it, it goes back to like what you were saying about why not Nesta Miranda cigars and why do you go with Miami cigar? A lot of companies have like, let's say Padron, Padron cigars and everything's under Padron cigars. Padron cigars this, Padron cigars that, Padromo cigars, Padromo cigars this, that. So whenever you go into a store, it could be a Perdomo Connecticut or a Habano or whatever the other brands they have. But it's always going to say Perdomo, so they know there's always that brand for us. So the difficult is just a Don Lino, it's a Nestor, and we used to have a bunch of different ones as well. So it's kind of like, a, well, where does this guy fit? Like, who's Don Lino, and who's Nestor, and who's this, and who's that? So just focusing in on it, um, it makes it a lot easier and less complicated and confusing, uh, confusing for the retailer and the consumer. Definitely. And a minute ago, you touched on the trade show that's coming up, and I know that people... Uh, usually gravitate towards the Miami cigar booth because you always have coffee, which in Vegas uh, is very important, especially yeah. if you get deeper into the show <laughs> and right. you're, you're kind of struggling uh, in the morning. So what can people expect from Miami cigar at this year's uh, PCA trade show? Yeah. So this year's a, it's a big year for us. So it's uh, for those who don't know, the cigar industry loves milestones. We love dates. We love to date stamp every single cigar that we release. And we actually have two this year. Um, that we need to commemorate and celebrate. And uh, one of them is uh, for my father-in-law. He's uh, turning 80 years old. Or he turned 80 years old this year. So to commemorate the 80, we're going to come out with a project uh, for that on him out of the My Father Factory in Esteli, Nicaragua. So same thing we were talking about, limited release run. But uh, what's special about this one is his three sizes. So throughout time, we've always 
uh, release limited editions in certain sizes that we don't offer normally. Um, so a Lancero, which is not in our normal um, portfolio of sizes, is actually his favorite size. So we'll be releasing a, a special edition Lancero. Um, kind of a short Salomon also, which is the rookie, which is one of his nicknames. And then uh, the Daniel, which is named after Nestor's son. So we have three different sizes in that one that we'll be releasing short run again, 500 boxes of each. Well, we're really excited for that one. Um, the team and my father came out with a phenomenal cigar. And it's a uh, it's beautiful presentation, cigar, everything's on point with that one. And that one will be, so we'll be showing it um, in July at the show and then shipping that one in September. So everybody can expect late September, early October, they'll see those cigars coming into the retailers. And then uh, the other thing that, that we're actually celebrating is um, off the Tatiana brand, it's uh, 25 years in the industry. So it's the 25th anniversary of the brand. So we, we never really messed too much with the limited edition side on Tatiana. So we uh, want to call this a commemorative cigar. So off of this 25th anniversary, it's going to be a different cigar that, than any of our Tatiana um, consumers are used to. It's a different blending technique that we put into this one. Um, and we're going to use it as this commemorative cigar. And I'm really excited to see what the consumer base thinks about it because it's a, a totally different smoking experience. Um, but hopefully it's something that goes well in the future. It could be something that we could release as a regular brand. Uh, but right now we're just going to go with a commemorative edition on it and see what everybody thinks. Awesome. Nestor, yeah. what do you like about Lanceros? Because I know that they're having, uh, we talked about in the beginning, things kind of coming back in fashion. And I'm seeing a lot more consumers gravitate towards the Lancero. Um, format. So what do you like about Lanceros? I'll tell you, I was uh, in New York at the uh, Davido store in the Colombo Circle. They, they don't have it anymore there. And I saw a picture of Enzo Davido. Beautiful. The man was standing with a Lancero in their hands. And I keep looking. Uh, man, that looks, that guy looked good with the Lancero. And I, I probably look good with a Lancero too. <laughs> <laughs> so I say, well, you know something? I'm going to make a Lancero. And I made it a Lancero, and it was very nice. And then uh, my son-in-law sold out, never make it again. I say, you know, thank you very much. Thank you very much. So I have to wait, I don't know how many years, <laughs> so I can have my Lancero back. Yeah. So now I have it. Now the Lancero is going to be beautiful. It's a nice size, and it has a piggy tail. Nice, distinguished. I say that Lancero is very distinguished around. I agree with that. Yeah. Very. Um, and another thing you mentioned is that you're celebrating your 80th birthday. So I'm always curious with milestone birthdays. I feel like every birthday is a milestone these days. But it's a big milestone, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can say it, you can say it. <laughs> so how does it feel? turning 80 like is it how you like thought it would feel is it are you, were you surprised by anything or like what's this whole experience been like i tell you to me 80 is just like a number of course i don't feel it i walk three miles every day and do some exercise so i like to keep myself in a, in a good shape uh, and i see other people uh, 80s and they don't look like me you know I, I look good I look good and I feel good you know but I, I do exercise I finish my exercise I work in the yard and then I go visit the, the tobacco shop in the area I play domino every day so I keep myself busy 
And uh, I love it. I don't, I don't care about my age. It's just the way you feel it. I feel like probably 61, 62. And every time I ask people, okay, how old do you think I am? And nobody, nobody can tell me my age yet. Maybe one day they will, but not right now. <laughs> I think that's great. Like you said, I think it's, it does come down to your mindset and your physical activity and such. I know uh, a couple uh, months ago, they were talking to William Shatner, who turned 90. And they were like, you don't look 90. He was like, I don't feel that 90. I just, you know, he's like, it's just how you act and how you feel. He's like, I don't, you know, I, I know I'm 90, but I'm not going to act like I'm 90, like how you might think. So I do, do think a lot of it is, it shows like the power of the mind and just keeping yourself active and in motion, I think is so important. Very important. You know, it's the way you dress. I don't dress like an 80 at all. I dress with uh, like a young man. I have a convertible, you know, to look good. That's part of my thing. Yeah, I was looking, I was like on social media today, and I forget what, maybe it was Facebook or Instagram, but I think it was something about your birthday, and you were in this image, and you looked like you were in a guest uh, fashion uh, campaign. It was like, you know, you were at the beach looking out, and I was like, this guy's like really stylish. <laughs> I was like, he's he's playing like he's playing up his birthday thing, like it's, it's eighty, but it's like you said, it's like you know, eighty going on fifty. <laughs> right on, right on, everybody. One life, baby. My life. So with you all working so closely together, I was wondering if you could say, like, Jason, what have you learned from working with Nestor? And Nestor, what have you learned from working with Jason? Well, I think that when he started working for me, uh, it was a new blood coming to the company. And uh, he's well-educated, you know, things that I'm, I'm looking into it. He's a great person. I love it like a son. And he made some mistakes like everybody, but then he improved himself basically. Now he's doing great. He's really 100% into the business. He loved the business. We got another Nestor Miranda younger. You know, I so, <laughs> and I, I tried to sometimes talk to him. Yeah, I don't, I don't like that. And then he tell me, no, oh, I did it because of this and that. And thanks. And then by the way, I changed. I said, you know, you're right, you're right. I'll let him do it. You know, that's one thing. I, if he's going to be in charge of the company, he's going to do everything. I don't want to get involved in making decisions and things like that. But uh, he's doing great. There you go. <laughs> my, on my side, I, think I spoke about it a little bit before. It's, it's back to that one life, back to what do you do with your life. Every day, every day, it's it's something that comes to mind. It's like, what what are you gonna do today? You know, like you are gonna take advantage of it. Are you gonna do what needs to be done? Um, I, I couldn't do what he did with this company. I got to start from where it was, like nothing, and take it to where he did is amazing. Um, I'm just glad and I'm blessed to be able to have taken it from where it was to where it is now, which is a great thing. But I think it worked out because my I guess my personality, I, I wouldn't have been able to do do what he did. It's amazing. Uh, just the grind, uh, blood, sweat, and tears, hard work, dedication, running through everything, like running through walls 
to make sure that his brands were out there. And even before the brands, just to make sure that his family was successful and that they were taken care of. So that, that to me always stuck with me. And it's, that's probably what I take the most from him is just doing whatever it takes to make sure that your family finishes on top. And Nestor, if you could do some, you know, this back to the future type thing where the you of today goes back in time to the you who was working in that hotel, what advice would you give your younger self? <laughs> they asked you that the other day. <laughs> oh my God. But you know, my life's been pretty good. So I can't change nothing. I, I will do the same thing all over again. Same thing all over again. I will work in a hotel. I will do. I had a good time in the hotel. I always have good time in any job that I, I perform. Very good. I I serve all the movie star, John Wayne and uh, Frank Sinatra. I went to a a, bar, a birthday of Frank Sinatra. He's, he's an amazing person, and I was there serving. I'm you know what the heck? I was there. I was with all the movie star as a boss boy, but I was there. But I don't want to change anything. I will I will do the same thing all over again. Nothing changed. So at this point in the show, I usually like to kind of wrap up this part of the interview with two questions. And I'm going to challenge you all to, to a little bit with this first question, because my first question is typically, do you have a philosophy that you live by? So I know that you, you all do, which is one <laughs> life. So do you have another philosophy that you live by? What's like the, you know, the number two philosophy? I don't know. I think it, one life is everything, but uh, I want to be what I am. I'm I'm a successful person. You know, I want to give that to other people. Don't give up. Keep working. There's a goal in life. Do it. But don't give up. Because if I did it, you can do it. I would say treat people the way you want to be treated. I think that's important. I've always, I've done that. That's from, my parents taught that. Uh, to us at a young age, it's just uh, always treat everybody with respect and the way you'd want to be treated. I think that's important. It goes along with. Awesome. And this is for each of you. So my last question for this part of the interview is typically uh, I want you to complete the sentence. So Jason Wood is and for you, Nestor, obviously, Nestor Miranda is one life. <laughs> <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> I will say my life. Yes, I love that. You see how good this is? You could use it for anything. I know. It's just like it the rubber stamp. Yeah, you're like, shit. <laughs> it fixes everything. So what, what can people, you know, expect from Miami Cigar going forward? Like, where do you want to take this company? You, I feel like you all have, you know, gone through everything. You've reinvented yourself several times. Where do you go from here? I'm just continuing to provide uh, the industry with the best products possible. Um, through our hard work, continue to hopefully reap the benefits of that and the success. Uh, relationships, continuing to build those relationships and having just a, a great time in the industry because it's, it's a great time to be in the cigar industry and we're having a great time doing it. Awesome. Now, can you, for those people who are not watching this, can you tell people what website, what social media they need to follow in order to keep up with Miami Cigar? Yeah, definitely. So uh, you can visit our website at MiamiCigar.com. Um, and the same as the Instagram. It's at Miami Cigar. Uh, Facebook, Miami Cigar. Keep this shit easy. Miami Cigar. 
the diff, the brands Tatiana has their own Instagram at Tatiana Cigars. Nestor Miranda Cigars has its own Instagram at Nestor Miranda Cigars as well. Um, but when all else fails, Miami Cigar and you'll find us. Definitely give the Nestor Miranda a try if you get a chance. If you find it in a store, special selection. Habano's his personal favorite. Mine is the Connecticut. So depending on, again, like what we talked about earlier, depending on what you like. You like a mild to medium, Connecticut will be nice. You like a medium plus, the, the Habano will definitely be the one for you. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you both for coming on to Deep Cuts today. And um, even after this video is done, we're going to film a couple other things uh, tonight. So people can continue to watch on YouTube. Uh, the other videos will be on there. Um, Nestor and Jason will be answering one of our viewers' questions, which is always in interesting because they're uh, newbies. So it's, uh, we'll look forward to that question. And also they'll be answering a question from one of our past guests. So we're going to continue to film, but if you miss any of this part of the interview or want to see the other 130 episodes that have been done, you can go on deepcutslive.com. You can also find them on YouTube at youtube.com slash deepcutslive.